it's not chance, but it's the timing was right. And I think for a lot of these things, I look for, you know, find something chaotic and try to put some order to it. This is The Playbook, where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is The Playbook. I am so excited because I actually have an extraordinary entrepreneur, the co-founder of something named the UFC, but he is also a partner of mine. He's the advisory board chair for the American Sevens Football League. Welcome, David Isaacs, to The Playbook. Thank you for having me, David Meltzer. Uh, Great to be here. Yeah, it's going to be even more confusing when we're in board meetings and uh, different division (laughs) meetings. They say David and we both perk up and I I usually know they're talking to you first and then I got to take the the second chair. Um, I don't know about that, but I I use DM (laughs) for you, a DI for me and everybody will be good. Well, you know, I, I, I look in your background and we both have had, you know, similar careers at the highest level in sports. But, you know, it seems like to me you had the same kind of parents or mom that I had, uh, a teacher, um, and education, formal education, which may or may not be as valuable today as it was when we were younger, but you are extremely educated. And, you know, I have a (laughs) difficult time. Yeah. And I have a difficult time explaining to young entrepreneurs uh, how important education is because they immediately try to pinhole me into, you know, did you go to Harvard? Did you, you know, you have a law degree, you have a law degree, you know, all these things. I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, education's in, it, it really important just because you can do it on YouTube today and not have to pay 250 grand. I'm all for that, but don't ignore the point of being educated and more interested than interesting. How important, number one, is your education and your success? And then two, how do you explain to the new generation and the new education system that's available, how best to be educated? Well, uh, I'm wary of starting with my education because as my old partner, uh, Campbell McLaren, who has been on your show, used to tell me, uh, Harvard person will tell you in the first five minutes that they went to Harvard. No, no. Um, they say I, I went to school in Boston. That's what Harvard Boston, like, right. I, And we've all done that. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll give you my read on it. And, you know, it's changed over time to some extent. You know, listen, we all are at an early age trying to figure stuff out. And, you know, for me, I figured out early I was I was good at school. I was really good at school. Um, And so that became, you know, for me, a marker of success. And uh, I went to a school that was sort of uh, very focused on sports and focused on academics uh, in high school. And I just viewed, um, you know, how how could I play in the big leagues here? What were the big leagues? And, you know, how would I do? You know, that was really what I was thinking about. Um, And uh, I did come from a family of, uh, you know, uh, uh, educated and educators. Uh, My dad was a newspaper editor. My mom was a teacher and a professor. Um, So, you know, we took that stuff seriously. And um, I sort of ran with that. Um, And I went to Harvard College and then I went to Harvard Law School. Um, I I don't know that I would suggest that path to people uh, directly. Um, But for me, it was... uh, I wanted to test myself and I thought Harvard was the best school at the time. Uh, you know, now listen, I have a whole world of other, uh, you know, data that has come into my system uh, that I would read out. And one of those, you know, one thing that I have seen a lot of is, you know, different people succeed at different times. 
and they succeed in different ways. And I think at least initially as a very young person, you know, I really saw, you know, my GPA and my SAT, you know, those things as being the markers of success. Um, as you get older, you see people have gone all kinds of different ways and they've either, I know so many people who that was the peak of success for them and they talk about it, right? Glory days, like Bruce Springsteen said. I know other people who have succeeded in lots of other ways and that was never part of their path to success. And I think for each of us, it's, figuring out that path and going down it. And, you know, people, I, if anybody wants to talk about going to law school, uh, I'm the one that will try to convince you not to go. Um, but as you know, it's a valuable skill set and it's a valuable credential. Is it the only way to get that credential? Is it the best way to get, is it the shortest time? Is it the, like, I, you know, a lot of questions there for me, a lot of questions. Uh, but for me, it was always, uh, you know, striving to succeed and, um, you know, these, these were the markers of it. And then I, you know, my family was in the, you know, my grandfather was also a newspaper editor. So it really came out of the media business. And I thought I wanted to be in the media business. Um, and I didn't know where. Um, and I, I thought I would get a law degree because that seemed like a kind of businessy type degree that someone like me, maybe I'd be a newspaper publisher uh, type thing. Uh, that was really what I was thinking. And of course, once I went down the path, then it changed completely, you know, and uh, that so for me, you know, you kind of take your shots and then it it leads you to, to make different decisions down the road. You know, that's that's been my path, which has turned into less of a straight line path and more of a curvy path. But it's been it, certainly their door openers. And, you know, there's no question about that. Um, people definitely understand, you know, the meaning of those. Degrees. But I think in a world of today, they're much less important. Um, and it's, it's almost like if you were in business 10 years, 20 years, you know, if you're still relying on your, you know, your SAT scores, you know, that's a sad statement. You know, at the, <laughs> that point, it's all about your performance. It's all about your performance in your job. And I know people who, you know, didn't go to college. I know people who've, uh, you know, been road scholars. Um, and it, that's, it's now it's about how do you do in that job? And that's what people have to focus on. I think that's what the new economy is teaching people. You know, you can learn things lots of different ways. You can come from lots of different backgrounds. The question is, you know, can you succeed right now or in the future? And do you have the tools to do it? Do you have the hunger to do it? Because I, like I said, I know people who, you know, go into a school like Harvard or Penn or wherever, that for them is like, they've, they've done it. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's it. You know, you know, take the rest of the life, you know, relaxing journey. Uh, I know other people that, you know, the hunger continues. I know other people that didn't get to the school they wanted, didn't get in, and that fed them. You know, I'm, I'm always reminded of Michael Jordan. I mean, it's not my story to tell, but it's his story of getting cut off the ninth grade basketball team. And he calls out the guy that, that, he, they, that made the team instead of him. And you can see that fed him. So oh, anything yeah. can feed you. Uh, but it's important to figure out, you know, for yourself what that is and how do you take advantage of it. One of the other aspects of your career that is similar to mine is a longer vision. And I always say that those that may have experience studying uh, of the past and studying in the intellectual state of mind can see in a long term a, a growth. And, you know, some of the, the things that we've been involved in were a little bit too early. Uh, Sure. But but we weren't wrong. You know, I was the CEO of the world's first smartphone in 1999. You found uh, left UFC in 1999 uh, as well. But if you look at, you know, from when you 
co-founded the UFC with Campbell, CEO of the nation's largest college uh, television network and see how and where that is today as well. You know, with all the different types of media plays that you had uh, into Cirque Productions, et cetera, you know, what do you think it is that allows us to see something that nobody else can see, right? I mean, people literally will laugh at you, scoff at you and make fun of you. And yet, you know, it may not happen when we want, usually it takes a lot longer, but I think this really is relevant to why we're both involved in the American sevens football league is we see something that, you know, is eight years in right now or so, but 20 years from now, you know, it's going to be, you know, the two Davids that they're going to put next to there and say, Oh man, how the guy, how these guys see this, what are you looking at? when you look at the UFC or the college television network or, you know, any of the businesses that you've been in, because they all are prospective businesses. They definitely aren't, you weren't joining Google after, you know, they went public. (laughs) Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head sometimes too early. Um, Timing is very, very important in the media business and any startup business. And so for me, uh, you know, I, I, I look for things, you know, that personally interest me. Um, You know, I didn't look to get into the fight business, uh, but I think there were a lot of sort of strategic reasons we did get into the fight business with the UFC, and I could go into that. But I think the the point of it was there were a lot of different things happening at the same time, and Horian Gracie was out talking about his fight stuff, and we as a pay-per-view company were trying to create other programming for pay-per-view and Art Davey pitched Campbell, you know, things happened in, in a certain way and, and they sort of, you know, it's, it's not chance, but it's the timing was right. And I think for a lot of these things, I look for, you know, somebody uh, said once that I like to, uh, you know, find something chaotic and try to put some order to it. And I, I do think that is something I like where I think it's in there, you know, the path isn't necessarily clear. I think it takes some digging and some figuring out. And I, I feel like that's a skill I bring to it. Um, and so I do look for those kinds of things that are, you know, looking at viewing habits of young adults. I mean, back to the UFC in the you know early days, I mean, this was a programming that hit a young male demo, you know, square in the face. The A7FL is the same thing. It is a young male demo, 18 to 34, that really likes this programming. But viewing habits have changed quite a bit. And there's a lot of things that have changed in the world. The technology's changed, uh, you know, and, and so you have to be aware of that. But for me, it's finding those things that, you know, viscerally, you know, I did giant robot fighting. I mean, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And so did a lot of other people. That turned out it's hard to make giant robots that fight. Uh, maybe they're good at a lot of other things. And I'm doing some other things on that front to, to see about that because I think there's this thing in there that somehow we're going to get to. For me, if the business is entirely technology dependent, um, you know, that you have to really have the right technology people involved, because I'm not a technologist, you know, but on the other side, when you talk about viewing habits, you talk about building a league, you talk about what, what are people looking for? You know, there are these massive trends going on in viewership right now. I am a, you know, and you can't not believe them. They are happening. So you watch them. And I think that that's part of, as you get a little bit older, have a little more uh, gray hair that you sort of see like, you know, whether or not that's how you act or that's how you behave or it's understandable to you. I think esports fit into this for a lot of folks, uh, you know, kind of our age group. Why would people do that? What's the, but if you're really looking at 
programming and you're thinking about sports, you realize that, you know, young people today, you know, they like to, they just like uh, people like to watch golf. If you don't play golf, watching golf is painful and slow. If you play golf, it's awesome. And you know, you're watching everything and it's, and it's the same with esports. If you're into playing video games, you want to see the best people play. You want to learn how to get better yourself. It's not a mystery, even if you don't like to do it. And I think for me, a lot of it is just finding these things that, you know, viscerally appeal to folks and then figuring out how to, how to mold them in a little bit of a way. Um, you know, A7, when I first got involved, Shannon and Ryan had created this thing. I mean, you know, and I, I was like, how did they create this, this stuff? And, you know, they had done it. The, the, the real, you know, bootstrap, hardcore, don't spend more money than you bring in way. And I was so impressed with that. You know, I, I, I really have had kind of a mixture of like big company and small company where you're worried about payroll and every other expense. And I was impressed that that's how they had done it. Other, you know, this other football leagues had come, raised tons of money, blown tons of money, had a vision. But I didn't think that, you know, uh, sort of, you know, I call them the Me Too football leagues. You know, I'm not that, in, just not that interested in them myself. Maybe some of them will work at some point. So what I loved about A7 was they had done this work in the foundation of what is this sport? And they had attracted players and they had attracted fans. But what it needed was the next level of how do you turn that into a bigger league? How do you, you know, what are the next steps in it? And that's what I think I look for and what I like to do, which is come in and, you know, be that person that can make some of those changes. The foundation was there. You know, I, I just made, we made some small changes in the rules this year. And it's amazing to me that it took, you know, it was years of doing this thing. And, you know, back to the UFC, we famously started with, you know, no rules. We said that it wasn't really the case, but over time we built that rule book up. And that was, that took years. And similarly, and now we're at that point with the A7FL, all that stuff is done and the fan interest is there and the player interest in there. And that moves us into this growth phase. And that's a tough phase for media businesses. You know this, um, you know, media businesses take money. They take some time to build a fan base. And so the A7FL, you know, for me was just at that right inflection point of interest and all the different things coming together. And that's, that's really what drove me to say, you know, it, it is a little similar to the early UFC. You know, it has that visceral impact, but it also really plays into new, you know, how young people view sports today. They are much more interested in the personalities and seeing the players. And the fact that we have no helmets, no pads, yes, it makes for awesome highlights on its own, but it also lets you see the players up close. And as you know, I'm sure representing the star talent that you have, like that's what really drives entertainment and sports it's those stars and this gives us the opportunity to build stars in a whole new way and it's amazing how it from starting with craigslist iteration of a pickup yeah. game and then you know having someone of your stature and credibility involved was obviously something that attracted me to wanting to get involved and then learning about all the different aspects of the sport you know i sometimes when people ask me to explain it, now we're in the eighth season, 36 teams, nine divisions across the country. I'm blessed to be an owner of a division. I'm an investor in uh, with, by the way, I'm not the only investor, 800 investors. Now we just raised over $600,000 in a very short amount of time. So there's a lot of momentum uh, behind it. But what's so interesting is I kind of described it as I, I called it rugby, you know, with 
the right rules, but I yeah. actually changed that the other day. I call it, it's rugby with familiar rules. And the sevens game in rugby has changed the face of rugby worldwide. Uh, and this game takes it to the next level because it's really football uh, played in a more exciting way, a dynamic way uh, to an extraordinary spectrum of people that I saw the parallels immediately when you were involved. I said, oh, I know why Dave's involved. It's like early on, you Forrest Griffin, UFC, you know, this is what I, I, I love. Um, but then came the pandemic and I was a little bit concerned saying, okay, well, how's this going to affect? But it actually seemed as if it elevated the sport and elevated other sports like it. As you saw, you know, the cornhole and, you know, the, the other games that started pickleball, you know, when I see pickleball, pickleball's success and all the tennis players and tennis fans love pickleball, I said, okay, we have the pickleball of football. This is awesome. We're, <laughs> we're going to take it off. Um, what were some of the aspects that you see now that people are, you know, adapting to that really have ignited the sport for us and for our fans? Well, you know, first of all, uh, our sport was always a very visual sport. So we were focused on the, from before I got involved, the videos and the highlights. That trend began before the pandemic of people watching sports that, you know, being focused on that. It has been accelerated during the pandemic. We all know that, especially young fans, right? Young fans who are always looking for something new and, and are watching, looking at it on their phone. You know, all the big major leagues are having trouble and trying to figure out how to keep younger fans interested, how to get them engaged. So I think that, you know, for us, like as a visual medium, we were less focused on, you know, where, you know, exactly how many tickets we sold. You know, that that was not our number one priority. It was getting great video and then spreading that. So that worked in our favor. And the other thing, um, as you know, as the owner of the Los Angeles division now, we have this structure that's unique, right? So each market has its own division. So when the pandemic hit, I mean, you know, we were all trying to figure out what, what was happening, what's happening in the world. Um, and you saw different reactions to it um, in different sports and different organizations in different sports. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, Dana White was dead set on the UFC, you know, continuing. Um, and he did what he had to do to make that work. Um, that continues a legacy we had back in the 90s uh, when we thought every event, if we got shut down, would be our last. But I thought, and we, you know, Shenner, Ryan, myself, the leadership team, thought this was for us a real opportunity. So how could we be the first league, the football league back playing? Um, and our divisional structure let us do that. So we played, you know, we modified what we were going to do. You know, we're, we're a, an emerging league. We have that flexibility. We have to be able to take advantage of it. But we play, you know, we put in place, you know, all the COVID protocols at the time. We learned, I learned a tremendous about, about the testing regimens. I mean, now I think I'm almost a doctor, just like everybody else thinks they've gotten an online medical degree. Um, but I learned a lot because we had a partner that really did know all about the testing and we had their med chief medical officer. Um, and we played in New Jersey when the test positivity rate was low. And we did a relatively short season and, you know, Forbes ended up writing an article about it. And the point for me was not only did we do everything we could to play as much as we could. So that doesn't mean every player got to play, doesn't mean every division, but we did everything we could to play and to play safely. But we also kind of created a model at the time for how do leagues that are not the NFL, not, you know, NBA, aren't going to do a giant bubble 
how can they play safely? Because we did it. And we did it, you know, we gave our players recommendations, but we did not have a bubble. Um, we did not at all. We did not. And, and at the time, we didn't have a vaccination. You know, we did what we could do with the players that we had. And, you know, our players, I mean, you know this so well, they come from all over. They are college players whose careers, you know, they want to take the next step. They're high school players who never got to play. They're, they're people who never played. They're working, you know, Monday through Friday. So we had to have a, a system that they believed in, too, because they had to go back to their jobs. And this was a time when it was risky. So we were able to put that all into place. And I think it just was part of the, I don't know, it's not just UFC ethos, but it's the startup culture of like, we got to figure out a way to do this. Um, and we got to solve a lot of problems. And that's, I think, for a lot of startups, you know, at an early stage, you know, that's where they get hung up about, you know, there are always problems, you know, it's like I always say about live events, like it's always problem solving on the fly. And sometimes those just are feel overwhelming. And I think you really have to make a lot of decisions. And, uh, you know, when I first started uh, working kind of in the smaller company sphere, uh, my boss at the time was a guy named, guy named Bob Myrowitz and Bob had started the King Biscuit Flower Hour. And he said, it's not always important which decision you make, it's important you make a decision. And, and I wrote a book called Game Time Decision Making based off of that quote from CEO uh, Bob Meyerowitz. So oh, really? It, it really? Yeah, that's really awesome. I mean, and it's funny. Because impact it's, on me. It's funny. I mean, I, I didn't even realize it, but, you know, it is a it is a and, and as a back to kind of your earlier point, you know, I think as someone who came out of like a, a very formal education process, I was used to, you know, gathering data, making an, my analysis. And what I had to do was kind of jump into the you don't have perfect data. <laughs> you you yeah. may not have perfect execution, but you got to do something. You got to do something. And you got to go either this way or this way, make your call and then go with it. And I think that for me is like the, one of the most important things for young entrepreneurs or any entrepreneur is making your decision and then going with it. Because if you don't do that, you're going nowhere. I, lo I love that about you because I always say you're a testament to what I call this triple A strategy. You get alignment, you get enough data, then you take action and prepare for adjustment. I will also add that the article in Forbes also had a great impact on flag football for youth because they modeled what you decided oh, really? with Shanner and them uh, in Southern California, utilizing that article, they, they utilized how we can have, you know, play for these kids, which I thought you know, made a huge difference in my son's life uh, to some sense of norm norm normalcy. And, you know, as these kids love playing, uh, yeah. to, to be able to get out there and safely, uh, and, and nobody tested positive, which was awesome uh, in that respect. Uh, you know, the, the A7FL uh, is going to be, and I never put a time on it, but I promise you it'll be one of the most entertaining things that you see on ESPN. It's already has a great distribution. We have many more great things to come. Uh, what a great playbook to success. Great leaders like yourself. Uh, I can't wait to, some things I can't wait to look back on. And I will tell you my, 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 my experience here, this is one of those things that I told when I got involved, I said, someday they're going to say the two Davis are like Al Davis of a seven FL uh, because the safety involved, all the different entertaining aspects, the demographics and the distribution of content and the perpetuation of that content is going to really carry it at an accelerated rate. And I can't wait to tie my name with yours with this great project. Dave, I know we got a new season coming up. Give me a little bit of details where people can find us 
as also what date we start our first game. So the season starts on March 27th. And as always, the best way to get information about the league is to go to our website, a7fl.com. You can also follow us on social media. As most people know, last season we were carried by Fight. We're on a Fubo Sports Network right now. Uh, Wave TV carries us across their social channels. But if you really want to find out the latest information, go to a7fl.com. Incredible interview. Thank you so much, David Isaacs. He is the co-founder of the UFC, but more importantly, advisory board chair and a partner of mine in the American Sevens Football League, the A7FL. Come and check us out. David, thank you so much for joining me. 